Cleveland, Ohio. And you're listening to Barbecue Central. Let's go! We'll do it live. Okay. Do it live! I can all write it and we'll do it live! Irreverent. Entertaining. Cool, cool, cool. You're listening to the only radio that matters. BBS Talk Radio. In a world permeated by barbecue websites under the control of tyrannical administrators, there was one man, a one-man army, who allowed his members to speak out, give their input, and make the website what it is today. The man, Greg Rempe. The website, thebarbecuecentral.com. The Barbecue Centralites demanded more. They wanted to hear him interviewing the top names in the barbecue industry. And they wanted to call in their questions live on the air. Once again, he came through and made the rest of the barbecue websites on the net his It's the Barbecue Central Show on BBS Talk Radio with your host, Greg Rempe. Kick it. How long have you been around? Can anyone place this open? Can anybody place the year of this open? Some of you have never even heard this open ever in the history of this show. But believe it or not, way, way back a very long time ago, this was one of the many previous show opens that has now been firmly stabilized with Cell Dwellers intro music that you would typically hear at this part of the show. However, we're experiencing a little bit of nostalgia here this evening because, believe it or not, back in February of 2008, in fact, dare I say right off the top, February 7th, 2008, the very first live Barbecue Central show came off on BBS Talk Radio, hence the reference in the open to my man Scott Greenia back then, or Scotty DeCue, as some of you might have remember him from days past on Barbecue Forums when those were a thing. Remember, that's how the show actually got started. There was never any show. There was only a Barbecue Forum. And then to set myself apart from other existing barbecue forums out there, I started getting the podcasting. That was somewhere in the 2006 range. And then in 2008, February 7th, 2008, we launched the show in its live format. And now entering its 15th year, we haven't looked back. We have seen so many barbecue and grilling shows come 
And then I have watched them all summarily go right the fuck out the door. That's right. Entering the 15th year of live shows. And as I was trying to put together a few items to talk about here this evening in the open, I'm like, you know what? I can't foresee an instance where this show wouldn't be happening five years from now, 10 years from now, 10 years from now, I'll be 58 years old. I don't know if anybody wants to see an almost 60 year old hosting the barbecue central show, but who else is going to host it? So at this stage of the game, I'm in no less of a motivated mindset. To me, the show is only now reaching the stages of where I would want it to be in order to now grow it. I think we've figured out a system finally after the first 14 years, and now it's time to really ramp it up over the next 14 years, and hopefully right around this time, 14, 15 years from now, I'll be saying we're opening up our 30th year. Can you imagine 30 years of live streaming? That would be something else. 15 years from now, oh boy, now I got to do the math. That would be like 63, 63 years old, right? 15 years from now, I'm 48. Yeah, I think that's right. 63, look at me, math major. Did major in math in college, but I'm pulling it out right now. Well, addition, I know, very tough. So thank you for coming along for the ride over the last 14 years, wherever you fit in that journey. And that's tonight's YouTube question, which I'll get to here in a second. But appreciate all of you that have even tuned in only once on podcast back in 2006. You listened to whatever show it was, and that was enough for you. But you were a one-time listener, so that's great. So let's get through the traditional rigmarole here. You know where the show's from. You know what we do here. But here's the setup for this evening. It is the first Tuesday of a month. Who better to share this special anniversary date with than my pal Malcolm Reed from How to Barbecue Riot, who's in the barbecue game much longer than I am. But we're right around the same time frame as far as this whole media thing is concerned. But, of course, Malcolm is also into competition barbecue, which I think is where his fame was originally derived from. But now he is also a YouTube sensation, of course, and a barbecue business store owner or barbecue supply store. So he's in the business of barbecue as well, the rubs and all that fun stuff. So Malcolm will be in here in a few short minutes. And then 35 past the hour, he was in a couple times last year for his first and then second visit. He's open to pizza place here in Lakewood, Ohio. If it's going to be about Cleveland, I am always going to pimp Cleveland. Ben Biebenroth from Boom's Pizza will be here. And just sound checking yesterday, Ben is in rare energy. We're going to be talking about pizza stuff that's going to make your head spin. It's not going to be the same old stuff. What they are going through just in their dough process. I don't know how many of you are pizza nerds. I thought I was a fairly deep pizza nerd. Not Matt Frampton type nerdy, but more nerdy than the normal pizza eater. I like to go a few levels beneath the crust, if you will. Ben is at a whole different level, his business partner at a whole different level. And you're going to be very excited to hear what Ben has to say 35 past the first hour. Then we'll move to the second hour. 
And joining me is the grand champ of the San Antonio Barbecue Cook-Off from Chicken Fried Barbecue, Bill Purvis. A very hot commodity on the competition circuit. He's cooking different sanctioning bodies, which I always appreciate as we talk about who the best competition barbecuer is. I know Myron Mixon says that he's the winningest man in barbecue, but as we look over a career and I start to think about who the best barbecue competitors are, I would say that Myron Mixon is right there at the top, uh, not just because he claims that he's the winningest man in barbecue, but if you look through competition results when he was really banging them out, he was competing in Kansas City Barbecue Society and winning grand champions there. He was competing in Florida Barbecue Association. He was winning grand championships in there. Obviously, Memphis Barbecue Network and then the non-associated associated Memphis in May competitions, a winning grand championships and team of the years in MBN as well. So I don't know if there is a more accomplished winner in competition barbecue than Myron Mixon. Maybe Malcolm has another name he can throw at me. But when you look at a guy who goes from sanctioning body to sanctioning body to sanctioning body to big events and then takes them down, not just competes, but is winning them. Those are very far and few between. So Bill Purvis is a guy that is really enjoying success. He's obviously got something right because he is successful. He was on one of the episodes of Barbecue USA, so we may or may not hit on that as well as there is a season two for sure. And then with whatever remaining time we have left of the show, I had a bunch of stuff that I was looking to get to in the 35 past the second hour segment last week, but Doug was in. He was a little chatty, which I certainly appreciated, and we were just able to close out two segments with Doug. So that's how the show is setting up. Don't forget you can follow me socially at BBQ Central Show, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Snapchat. We say good evening to those of you watching tonight through one of our streaming video platforms. You can go to Facebook and Twitch slash BBQ Central Show to watch. Also, you can take the show in via YouTube slash RD Rempe, where there is a new poll this week. And here we go. How long have you been a centralite? How long have you been listening to the Barbecue Central Show? Your choices are as follows. One to five years, six to ten years, and 11 years plus currently. It is a tie, 38% saying 1 to 5 and 6 to 10. And 25% of you are saying you're in it for the long haul, 11 plus years. Now that is some type of commitment. But I would love to hear from the 11 plus years. Is it just that you've never ventured out and tried to find any other barbecue and grilling related podcast? You heard me and that was it. You fell in love, hook, line, and sinker, and you refused to look. The eyes will not stray. I hope that's the answer. I hope that's the answer. However, even 60% of you at uh, six years plus is incredible. That's a long-time audience. However you're catching the show, maybe next week we'll do, have you ever watched the show or how many of you watched the show live just one time in your life? Alan F. in the instant chat saying it's because I am the best, which I certainly appreciate, Alan, saying that. But, again, it's a, it's a long time. Uh, Bill Rempe, my dad, asking, is Whiskey Bent still in the action? Whiskey Bent? No, sir. That's a long time gone. Uh, Chad, very busy. I believe he's down at Super Bowl this week, hanging out with the likes of the Dan Patrick Show, helping them... 
make succulent treats and savory meats. So I don't think uh, Whiskey Bent Barbecue in the pit has the time. Or I don't think Chad has the time. But he's hanging out with Dan Patrick, so that's a pretty good trade-off. I might hang out with Dan Patrick and trade off a show or two. All right, Malcolm Reed is ready to rock. Before we get to him, I believe that registration is closed. However, since 1991, the National Barbecue and Grilling Association has been the voice of the barbecue and grilling industry by helping members network and learn from proven professionals. Leader Cal Phelps looking to take the history of the organization and move it to new heights and successes here in 2023 and beyond as they start with their NBBQA annual convention, which is currently open for registration. Actually, I believe it's closed, as I just mentioned. However, you can check me out at nbbqa.org. And then it's all right there on the main page for you to further validate. Now, if you're someone in the barbecue business, if you're somebody in the grilling business, if you're looking to stay on top of trends, market your business better, learn from folks who have done it right and continue to evolve in the market that itself is ever-changing, this would be a conference you would want to attend. It starts Wednesday, February 15th, so we're just a little over a week out. Runs the uh, Saturday the 18th being held at the beautiful Wyndham Orlando Resort and Conference Center in the Celebration area of Orlando, if you're familiar. If you didn't make reservations, then you can't take advantage of being around the most successful people in the barbecue industry for those four days. You could walk right up to folks like Mo Kason or Dr. Barbecue or Mark Lambert or Tuffy Stone. The list goes on. You could ask them questions you would want to have answered. You would have then been surprised at how approachable and open they are to helping you succeed in the industry. They believe that the rising tide theory, lifting all ships, why not? Once again, you probably missed out on registering, but it is February 15th through the 18th next week in Orlando, nbbqa.org. Again, just to double check me for all the information. If you aren't a member, by the way, consider joining you can have access to videos if you can't make it to certain events. And you can take it all in on-demand video right there on the website, nbbqa.org. That's nbbqa.org. We're back with Malcolm Reed right after this. Stick around. Be right back. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Broadcasting live from the Barbecue Central Show studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. Welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by CookinPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets for all your pellet-driven cookers. You visit their website, CookinPellets, C-O-O-K-I-N, CookinPellets.com, and you can see all the blends that they're offering, all the other products that they're offering as well. Good folks over at CookinPellets.com. Trying to line up Chris Becker to come on and talk about some new pellets that are coming to market. He's got some new products as well, but we'll continue to chase him down and get him 
pinned in for a segment uh, here before the first half of the year comes to an end. Joining me now, the first Tuesday of the month, 14 past the hour, guest creator of How to Barbecue Right, pitmaster of Killer Hogs competition team, Malcolm Reed, joining us. Malcolm, did you think that just by sheer happenstance you would be celebrating the beginning of the 15th year of live Barbecue Central shows here this evening? I'm not surprised, Greg. You've had a wonderful show, man. I've been a fan for all those years. So I was going to say, uh, the YouTube question of the night is, uh, how long have you been listening to the show? Is it one to five years, six to ten, or uh, 11 plus? Where do you fit into that? I'm in the 11 plus. Yeah. I've, you know, I've been around, yeah. Long time. Long time. So uh, we got a lot of stuff to get to. I was taking in the most recent episode of the How to Barbecue Right podcast. By the way, if you're fans of mine, casual fans of Malcolm, uh, they are back to producing new episodes every week. The first two of season, I believe, six is out uh, now, so you have a couple to listen to if you haven't been keeping up with your subscription updates. What in the hell is a king cake? Oh, you don't know about king cakes? No, Come I, on, man. I live in Cleveland. Oh, I got to send you one. I, yeah. No, it's so classically. Okay. You, you know, Mardi Gras. Yeah. Celebration down in New Orleans. You know, it's, it's come, accumulates with Fat Tuesday before everybody gives something up for Lent, you know. So king cake is, uh, it's kind of like a dessert pastry that people eat during that time of year. And they probably eat them year round in New Orleans. I don't know, but they're famous during Mardi Gras time. That's usually when we get them up in Mississippi. But it's a, it, if I had to describe it, it's kind of somewhere between a cinnamon roll and a Danish kind of, you know, it's this braided layer of flaky cake that they put icing on. Sometimes they stuff it. Sometimes they don't. They sprinkle the colored sugars on it then, you know. And, and were Rochelle and Tyler talking about one of them having a baby in it? So that's, that's kind of part of the tradition. They have these, and I don't know what they did years ago when they first came up with it, but now it's like this little tiny plastic infant, you know, newborn baby. And they put it inside the cake after it's cooked, of course, before you take it to the party or serve it. Whoever gets the slice with the baby in it, it's good luck. Uh, you're responsible for bringing the king cake to the next party, and you're kind of important for the year or whatever. Wow. So the the only thing food wise, uh, and this would be in the sweets out now. Notoriously, I'm not a big sweet eater per se. Maybe a cookie here and there, but I'm always more of a fan of something that is less sweet. I like uh, you know vinegar stuff. I like savory stuff, but sweet and especially desserts isn't typically my kind of thing. But every once in a while, I'll go nuts. The thing that I most associate pastry wise with Mardi Gras, I don't know if I say it right, but the punchki which is, you know, it looks like it's kind of a jelly-filled donut, but it's a little bit maybe more yeasty or, you know, something Cajun-esque. Is that something you guys have down there as well? Um, That's, I mean, so that's in the range of what, you know, a whole king cake would be like. I've seen those. Oh. I've never heard the name, Poonchki. That's new to me. Yeah, Poonchki but I've seen the Poonchki. I've seen the pastries you're talking about, yeah. That's what we get up here, and they can't be authentic because the Giant Eagle grocery store, which, of course, is uh, Pittsburgh-based, which we hate, but that's where it's based. Uh, they're baking them, like, right on site, so it's not even like they're trucking them up from uh, El Dumont down there in New Orleans or, you know, somewhere that would be authentic. But, they, I mean, they seem to sell like crazy. 
to me, it's like a uh, dessert version of the McRib. It only shows up right around this time, and then right at the end of the month, you never see him again until this time next year, and everybody goes crazy. But they're you know stuffed with some weird stuff like you know minced meat or uh, prunes, uh, dates, things like this. Uh, again, I mean, it's just something I'm probably not going to get after. I like lemon. You know, again, a little bit more sour uh, kind of stuff, but uh, that's the only thing I, I really... Uh, King Cake took me by surprise this morning when I was getting my workout in, and I was like, I'm, I'm going to have to ask him right off the bat what this King Cake is, because I've never seen it up here, but maybe I can do a little research and see if we can't find a, a New Orleans-based baker up here in Bomb City, USA, and grab one here before it's over. The other thing I want to ask you about, you had said... Uh, earlier in the uh, most recent podcast that you're a big indoor cooker right now because really you're forced to be indoors. You've also succumbed to some of the ice storms, uh, maybe not the size of Texas and the issues that they were, but you had some ice coverings there. So you're cooking inside and you're perfecting burnt ass chicken. So what is a burnt ass chicken? And is there a formal recipe at this point? Yeah, I mean, the burnt-ass chicken started back uh, in my early competition days. There was a contest in South Haven. You all have heard me say Spring Fest before. That was the first contest I started cooking. They had an ancillary chicken contest. It wasn't like these KCBS, you know, chicken thigh contest or whatever. But I started doing burnt-ass chicken, and all it was was boneless, skinless thighs. I had, like, one of these little Aussie Outback grills, you, can, you know, the kind that's kind of square, and they fold and stuff. I would throw some match light or something on oh, it, wow. <laughs> and I, I would get the fire, get it hot as I could get that little grill, you know, glowing red. I had these boneless, skinless thighs that I would marinate in Italian dressing, like the cheap, zesty Italian, and then I would throw them on the grill and burn the crap out of them until they were charred up, and then when they were done, I'd dunk them in sauce and throw them back on there and burn them a little more, Oof. and then we would arrange them in the box with like this bell pepper that was wailing kind of fancy cut flames and stuff into it. And I could pour some sauce into it so they could dunk the burnt burnt ass chicken in it. And we just would win with that burnt ass chicken in all these contests. Wow. Match and, it, light you know, and everything. I, oh, everything. Yeah. We didn't care. We were a drinking team back then. I mean, it was just, we were turning in something, but it, but it became one of those things. People wanted to know where the burnt ass chicken was. And hmm. that's where burnt ass chicken came from. And now it's living in your air fryer, man. I, I'll tell you what, you know, being wintertime down here, we've, you know, we've had some cold weather. It's warmed up now. It was 70 degrees today. So, but I had to learn to cook inside. And then we've had an air fryer sitting on our counter for heck years, probably since that first Ninja air fryer came out. We never really used it. And I started using it and cooking, you know, chicken strips for Michael and easy yep. things like that. But I started seeing these recipes on TikTok. People were doing thighs and, you know, pieces of chicken and salmon and, so I started cooking some other stuff in it, man. And, and I'll tell you what, I'm a huge fan of the air fryer. Now, it's perfect for a small family like me, Rochelle, and Michael. If you got a big family, I mean, you'd have to do a bunch of cooking in one. But for a small family, you could turn out some good stuff in that little air fryer, man. When it's in the midst of cooking, is it not puking out a lot of smoke or is it somehow no, like uh, re-eating it? Uh, it's ninja magic, man. I don't oh. know. It's, under, it's, up under, it's up under my kid that I hadn't noticed any. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, so, you know, my daughters will use it similarly to, you know, how, you know, Michael's going to use it for just uh, quick stuff or maybe they're going to do some potatoes and French fries, you know, what have you. But, the, you know, the, eh, they're uh, sometimes a little lazy. So it was sitting underneath the, the cabinets or above it and it was just plugged in and run. 
and the exhaust is in the back and you know, eight minutes, ten minutes into the cook, after a couple different times, I'm like, wait a second, something doesn't seem right. And I look over and it's tucked up underneath and I'm like, hey, you got to pull that thing out because like the heat's blasting in the back and it had warped some of the, the backsplash work that we had done in the kitchen, just like the little seam that keeps it all nice and te- uh, you know, nice and tight looking. Well, that had warped and started to come off the wall and so I had to teach the kids how to pull the air fryer off the wall and actually, you know, let it vent properly. But there's a guy here in Cleveland who's got a radio show. He's a broadcast Hall of Famer here locally, Jimmy Malone. This guy swears. We've had internet fights on Twitter about how he says the best steak he's ever had, he cooks in an air fryer. Have you had an air fryer steak ever? I, I've had those. I've got a set of little grill grates that fit in mine. And can you cook a steak in it? Yes. Is it close to anything you can cook on a grill? No, absolutely hmm. not. Wow. It's, it's, I mean, you know, it's like a George Foreman type steak. I mean, you can eat it, but it's not, you know, it's not anywhere close to what you could do on a grill. Well, Jimmy is, or even a cast iron skillet. Jimmy is relentless on his proselytization <laughs> of air fryer steaks and tells me you're a snob. And until you try it, then you shouldn't be throwing stones. And I said, well, I mean, it's just probably not going to happen, but I'm certainly not going to tell you that it's not taste. Here's what I know. If you come to my house and I cook you a steak, if you think what you're cooking in the air fryer is that good, you're probably going to pass out with the light when you eat the steak that I pull off the grill. It's going to be like the best thing you've ever had. So maybe I get them over the house someday and and we'll go from there. Let's transit. Oh, let me ask you one other question. You were talking about uh, you were making gumbo. So first part of that is making a roux. And then you had also mentioned you used to watch Emeril Lagasse back in the old days when he was on probably Food Channel at the time when he was becoming a big star and learning how to make a roux there. I only thought uh, making a roux was melting butter and flour. I just happened to see Emeril on a TikTok or something two days ago, and then the next day I'm listening to you talk about it on the podcast, you start with oil. Oil and flour, yeah. Yeah, usually equal parts. But never, um, equal is, parts. is butter, roux, uh, is that a thing, or is that for something else? I mean, so a roux is fat and flour. So butter is your fat, and if you start with butter and you use flour, you're going to, you at the start of a bechamel sauce. Make mm-hmm. a really good sauce with it, but um, butter, butter, has a you're, you're going to burn it before it'll get to the good roux stage. That's why you need to use a oil or a fat that can take a little bit of a higher heat because you're cooking it for a long time, and that's where you get your color and your depth of flavors. That's what's going to add to your gumbos, your stews, your you know your etouffees, dishes like that. It, it gives it a lot of flavor. It's a thickening agent to it, and you know it's um, it's quintessential you know Cajun Creole cooking. You got to know how to make a roux. Well, this is why you're the expert here, because as soon as you said it's the beginning of the bechamel sauce, I immediately remembered that every time I make it, you know what I'm making? Mac and cheese. Absolutely. So, totally makes sense. Or Alfredo sense. sauce. That's right. Now, I agree with you. We have a huge game coming up for those people that love NFL football. Just in general, maybe your team probably didn't make it. I mean, as you consider how many teams are in the NFL, there's a good chance your team didn't make it in. Certainly the Browns didn't make it in, and I know your Vikings didn't make it in. But I think Super Bowl Sunday should also be moved to Saturday. 
I might not be attuned to your start time of like noon or, or one. I wouldn't mind seeing it like at five o'clock. So you can maybe build into a dinner beforehand uh, or something set for halftime, things of this nature. But why not save Sunday for recovery instead of the big call off day like you were talking about? I totally agree with that. So I thought for the remainder of the time here this evening, we take a stab at the two teams that are in the game. So we have Kansas City Chiefs, we have Philadelphia Eagles, and what you would suggest for making for each, for what they're known for. What's Kansas City known for? Of course, it's one of the barbecue meccas, Kansas City and barbecue hand-in-hand, many different flavors and proteins out there. It's not just one or the other. They're kind of a melting pot. So as you look at Kansas City, uh, A, I guess give me your thoughts on where they... (laughs) fit in is potentially winning this game and then what you would be serving if you're doing a Kansas City based menu well you know barbecue has to be it when I think of Kansas City I mean I think of that it's sweet it's tangy um, but for some reason it's burn ends jumps out at me I mean that's kind of mm-hmm. where they get mm-hmm. credit for being the burn in so I would have to do something with burn ends for Kansas City maybe a big you know Kansas City po' boy with burn ends and you know, maybe some slaw or something like that on it, some pickles, some kind of way, make a huge, big sandwich. Um, but I also thought about a Kansas City hot wing. You know, why couldn't you do a smoked version of a barbecue wing and in- incorporate, you know, some hot sauce and that butter element into your barbecue sauce, that sweet and tangy barbecue sauce, and make some really killer wings for it? Um, you-, you can't go wrong with it. I don't really think of, like, pulled pork when I think of Kansas City. I think of ribs. Yep. You know, I think of St. Louis cut ribs. I mean, I know they're not Kansas City cut, but so if you're that's hosting, just, that's kind of what comes to my mind. If you're hosting a party at your house, I agree with you. I, first thing that comes to my mind, I didn't think about burn ends until you said it, and then of course that made complete sense uh, for Kansas City. But I was thinking ribs right off the bat. So, is that something? that you can really do in advance. Um, for instance, you'd mentioned pulled pork and how you're not associating that with Kansas City, but you can cook that, take everything off by noon. You could hold it until 6 or 7 o'clock in a dry cooler if you had to, and it's still going to be safe. It's still going to be hot, probably burn your hands. Is that something you can similarly do with ribs, or you need a, a much tighter window in order to still have a good end product? I always say you could get one to two hours out of ribs, and that's about... For them to be absolutely best, you know what I mean? Of course, you can still eat them five, six hours later if you wanted to, but they're not going to be as good. Ribs, and ribs cook pretty quick, man. You can cook ribs in three and a half, four hours from start to finish. You know, cook them a little bit hotter, render them really good, and get them tender. Are you a fan of cutting them in advance? Into individual bones? Yeah. Um, I've only done that to deep fry them. I've never done it to smoke, but I have seen some people do that here lately to kind of speed the process up. Mm. To me, anytime you go slicing on them, or, you know, or any cut of meat like that, you're cutting, so you're you're cutting it, giving it more surface area, and you're going to let juices escape. Mm. So I think it wouldn't, it would be drier. I think, and I just don't think it'd be as good as cooking it as a whole whole rack. Could be wrong. I've never tried it, but. Uh, I, w- I would follow your line of question. As soon as you start breaking stuff down, as soon as you start pulling the pork butt, as soon as you start slicing the brisket, you know things are going to have a tendency to dry out much quicker than if it remains intact. So I'm with you on that. The other team that is taking part in the Super Bowl is Philadelphia Eagles. To me, first thing that jumps out, 
Philly cheesesteak, of course. I don't know where you're at already, there. Already knew where you were going. Yeah, no doubt about it. So uh, do you have any uh, favorite Philly cheesesteak recipes or cheesesteak-specific recipes? Man, I just I actually recorded one this week for TikTok, but I got the inspiration from um, one of my local favorite wing places called Mr. P's. They have a Philly cheesesteak burger. And so it is a big burger on a hamburger bun topped with Philly cheesesteak with the peppers, with the onions, <laughs> with the whiz all drizzled over it. Wow. You know, pickles, mayo, onions, the works on the underneath the hamburger patty. It is a man size Philly appetite burger. Holy moly. And that I mean, so I just I, I made one of those and I hadn't released the video yet. It'll probably come out before the Super Bowl. But cheesesteaks, man, who doesn't love them? Thinly sliced steak on a flat top. It cooks fast. You can do your your vegetables on the side. I mean, I like mine with the mushrooms, onions, peppers. Mm-hmm. You don't have to. I like it topped with the cheese whiz or the cheese sauce. I like it with provolone. I've had it pizza style where they do the marinara and the mozzarella on it. I've uh, never had, never been to Philly, but I've ate a lot of Philly cheesesteaks in my life. <laughs> have you, are you a fan of um, uh, steakums for cheesesteaks or is that bad news? I haven't had those. My mom used to buy them, Greg. That's show. I mean, it's probably been 30 years, <laughs> you know, I don't, I, but uh, we have, so what I, I'm a fan of, I found our grocery store Kroger started selling this. It's called thinly sliced steaks for 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 cheesesteak, I guess. But it's in, it comes in a little tray. It is shaved. I'm sure it's not ribeye, hmm. but it's shaved steak, super thin. And when you break it up and put it out on the flat top, it acts just like a steak. I mean, it, it's not on like wax paper that you peel off. Yeah, but it's good stuff. And they even do a pork version, and I think they do a chicken. So you could do a chicken Philly. You could do a pork Philly. These are our suggestions for you to take a hold of here on a Tuesday evening or Wednesday if you listen to podcast and get your grocery lists ready for Super Bowl weekend. It's Philly cheesesteaks on the Philly side and then a barbecue uh, for Kansas City. On the other side, we're recommending burnt ends, uh, ribs maybe, and a Kansas City wing. Why not? Or a big po' boy sandwich, as Malcolm said as well. Uh, Malcolm can be found over at howtobbqright.com. Subscribe to him over at his YouTube channel where one and a half million of you are already doing that. Follow him socially at the same handle. Malcolm, always appreciate the time, and we will see you in March. Hey, we'll see you next month, Greg. Have a good one, man. All right, Malcolm, there he is. Our pal, Malcolm Reed, kicking off the beginning of the 15th year of live shows here at the Barbecue Central Show. HowToBBQWrite.com, once again, is his website, but of course, all of you know that. Ben Biebenroth appears to be ready to go to talk a little Booms Pizza. Before we get to him, I will tell you about Pits and Spits. Some of the best-looking, best-cooking smokers and grills on the market. Pits and Spits offers a fun family of products, including traditional offset smokers with pellet grills, charcoal grills, travel grills, combination pits, fire pits, and much more. Pits and Spits has been one of the only American fabrication shops that's focused only on smokers and grills for the last 40 years. Why is that important? They put an emphasis on quality and design, locally sourced materials, unmatched attention to detail from the fully welded barrels to the heavy gauge steel. 
They bring both a function and beauty to life. Pit and Spitz builds every product with the intention that it's going to get passed down from generation to generation. Whether you're in competition barbecue or you just want to take that backyard barbecue and grilling game to the next level, the answer is Pits and Spits, and there is a product for you in their lineup. Check them out at pitsandspits.com, all spelled out, P-I-T-T-S-A-N-D-S-P-I-T-T-S, pitsandspits.com slash BBQ Central, and use promo code BBQ Central for a free spice pack when you order $500 or more worth of stuff. If you order a cooker, rest assured you're going to get that spice pack for free You'll definitely have accumulated over 500 bucks. Once again, it's pitsandspits.com slash BBQ Central. And then promo code at checkout after you accumulate $500 or more for the free spice pack, which is delicious. Who likes pizza? I like pizza. Let's talk pizza. Be right back with Ben Biebenroth from Boom's Pizza. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Stern, Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. And we thank Malcolm Reed for joining us the last segment. This portion of the show being brought to you by Fireboard. Monitor up to six different temperatures simultaneously. Connect to Wi-Fi for cloud-based monitoring or connect via Bluetooth. If you have Alexa or the Google Assistant in your home, you're in luck. Fireboard fully integrated with both. Find out more by visiting fireboard.com or call them 816-945-2232. My next guest tonight made a few tremendous appearances last year, and he's starting out with a bang here in 2023. There has been a recurring theme on the show with me and my unwavering love of pizza. I have long said that even a bad pizza is still pretty good pizza. Tonight's guest has just opened his new pizza place here in Bomb City, west side suburb of Lakewood, Ohio. You might know him from Spice Acre Farms, but tonight you will know him as one of the men over at Boom's Pizza. And when I can pimp anything here in Bomb City, USA, I will pimp everything here in Bomb City, USA. Let's welcome back Ben Biebenroth. Ben, the last time you were on the show, we hit a little bit on this venture, but other than a real commitment to wanting to do this thing, there was nothing overly tangible at that time, but things have changed. Boom's Pizza, now open for two weeks today. You know what? We have a in-kind anniversary date, Ben. It is the beginning of the 15th year of live shows here at the Barbecue Central Show, and the second full week of live operation over at Boom's Pizza. So, two weeks in, how are things going? Oh, man. Well, first of all, I am just blown away by the pace of business, man. It's absolutely incredible. And I'm really, like, mostly impressed with the attitude of people. Like, we're just getting such a warm embrace. And as you said, like... Dude, people in Cleveland love a good pie. Yeah. Like so the just the pace of people and then coming back multiple times inside of the first couple of weeks is is pretty incredible, man. Ben, can I yeah. see can you like do a 180 with the microphone there and see you might uh yeah. 
put I was going to try this. Yes, that's 100% yes. better. All right. So <laughs> All right. a warm welcome. We love pizza, of course. Of the pizzas available on the menu, has there been one right off the bat that has soared to the top of the most popular list? Oh, dude. Hot stuff and peps, for sure. Really? Like, we, yeah, we're using Ezo Peroni out of Columbus, using the cup and curls and uh, fresh shaved garlic over the top of it, basil, Mike's hot honey, Calabrian chilies. Dude, it's killer. I wasn't overly familiar with the different variations of pepperoni. Um, when I was talking to Matt Frampton the last time uh, from Urban Slicer, he had started talking about cup and char and all of a sudden, as soon as he had mentioned it's like one of those things, you never see this kind of a car. Somebody mentions it to you, and then all of a sudden you see 10000 on the highway. Same thing with uh, this kind of pepperoni. Is that the pizza standard at this point, the most popular pepperoni is the cup and char? Oh, yeah. And furthermore, like, dude, Ezo is one of like the most outstanding sausage manufacturers in the country right here in Columbus, Ohio. That's where all that Ezo pepperoni, all that cup and curl comes from. <laughs> um. Dude, they're so specific with the way they build those sausages based on your bake time and your bake temp as to what temperature it cups and what temperature, like higher percentages of dextrose and things like that in there to get a, a quicker caramelization on it. Dude, Pizza Expo, even if you're not in the pizza business and you just love pizza, go to the Pizza Expo in Vegas or Atlantic City. It, you will have your mind blown. So the sausage place is consulting with you and inspecting pepperoni to your specific cook? No, no. Oh, you basically oh, oh. like you walk up to their booth <laughs> at the pizza show and they have like cup and curl, cup and brown, cup and crisp, cup and char and oh, like my. all these different benchmarks of performance of these things. Freaking fascinating, dude. I love learning about food. So it's like, just give me something else to learn. Let's go ahead and back out for a second. As I had mentioned a few minutes ago, this has been on the table for a while. So who else is involved in the business with you? And then why do you and whoever the stakeholders slash business partners are decide you guys can build a better pizza in a city that has so many pizza options? Oh, well, okay. So my partner, uh, Chief Culinary Officer Jonathan Bennett, formerly of the Red um, and Moxie Empire in Cleveland and multiple other states. Um, just an amazing culinarian, really dynamic to the gram food scientist, if you will, and just a fundamentally amazing cook, great profit oriented chef. These are things that I'm very, uh, I'm very feelings forward. I kind of do what I think is right. I do what I feel is right. I don't really run a lot of spreadsheets and like dwell over numbers a lot. Um, you know, hence the farm and the lamb cookers across the street, right? <laughs> Not a lot of PLs going on around that uh, lamb cooking business. But, you know, JB and I got together during the pandemic uh, over asparagus harvest, actually. I was running a U pick here and he came over and we just started talking about what the new world of food is going to look like, right? We both spent 20 years in fine dining and it was like the meticulous, um, endless pursuit of excellence in fine dining is what drove us as chefs. And it was like, man, if we leverage that same mentality, that same process focus and pursuit of excellence around pizza, I mean, you know, can't stop us. And you said something before, even a bad pizza is a pretty decent piece of pizza. 
the window of success for pizza is so vast and there are so many styles and PS 9.75% of all purchases in a restaurant in the United States are pizza. So it's the largest category of restaurants in the country. So really, you know, getting my ass kicked on fine dining for 10 years, basically at Spice Kitchen, loved the job, loved the cooks I helped and the food we created but really never put up any money at all. Like it was just enough to run again the next year. And I don't know, man, you get your dick knocked in the dirt like that over the pandemic and you got some time to think about it. You know what I mean? It's like, shit, what did I trade all these family memories for? I better start like doing a business that I can scale and create an environment and a product that I can like really hang my hat on. And instead of trying to master all these different arts of fermentation, smoking, baking and pastry, you know, agriculture, it's like to just get a foundational, amazing pizza crust and blow that thing out of the fucking water. That's what I'm after. So as far as spice is concerned, is that now not an operation? Uh, you know, you've become enamored with being able to take the things that you are really passionate about and now put them into a business that is more of a revenue slash uh, profit producer? Well, I mean, no, I mean, spice catering is still raging. We're busier than ever. Um, doing amazing work. Spice Field Kitchen, our nonprofit, we're teaching a ton of kids, 7,500 kids we've educated about food nutrition and, and healthy soil. And the farm is still a great wedding venue. And we, we grow a lot of products here, specifically mostly for the nonprofit and cooking demos. So all of those businesses are functioning. Mm. I guess what I'm saying is like to really be passionate about a product is one thing, but then to always be stressing about money and profit really challenges that creative stance, right? It's mm. tough to stay in a creative mindset when you're like freaking out about making payroll. So to be able to fund all that good that we do with the nonprofit with Spice Field Kitchen and all the amazing catering things we've done it, to have a business you can scale and fuel those things with that. Mm. Oh man. Now that's something that is really special. So So from concept of Booms Pizza to actually opening the doors 2 weeks ago, what kind of time frame are we looking at? Dude, we were 2 years in the making mm. and you know that was probably a testament to JB and I's like endless pursuit of excellence. It was just kind of like, I mean, no shit, about 175 versions of dough. Like all within pretty tight window of yeah. somewhere between New York and Neapolitan, but different flowers, the addition of ascorbic acid, citric acid, like all these different tools to leverage. Um, so yeah, we had about 150 odd recipes of dough before we went to the pizza expo mm. and then sat through four days of workshops and just really, really came away from that. Like, okay, now we can focus in on temperature, time, bulk ferment, all these types of really specific tools in pizza. Ben Bieberoff joining us here on the show. Booms Pizza, boomspizza.com is the website if you want to check it out, see what's on the menu. If you're going to be coming across the Cleveland area here and travels, because I assume most of you aren't directly here in Cleveland, but for those of you that are, get over there to Lakewood, check it out. Was there ever a time within that two years going to these shows and expos and talking with JB and all this other stuff that you're like, you know what, we're, we're, we're really good on this idea part. We're almost there, but we're just not going to be able to cross a bridge and it's, it was just going to go out in the field and die. No, no, never. 
No, hell no. Hell no. I don't. I'm not starting something to give up on it. Mm. Like, like, I have like kind of a disease of being attached to the future outcome of things. So no matter how shitty it is now, I know that we've already arrived at the promised land. Mm. We just have to get through this, you know? And that whole time that we were working on pizza, dude, we started Keep the Change Kitchen Collective. That was a like remote food ordering ghost kitchen thing. Just bringing nutritious food to the neighborhood and at a convenience point we were catering we were doing all these other things getting the business going again so it wasn't like we were just sitting around going out for pizza every friday you know <laughs> it was like we were busy yeah so that that play of that investment money and the potential of creating better jobs for people and dude just creating better freaking pizza there's so much commodity pizza in every city and there's a line out the door for it. So it just felt like you start better quality flour and a scientific approach to dough and a little more respect and understanding of a cycle of fermentation. Uh, that's a big deal to separate yourself out from the masses. We're going to talk about that whole separation uh, when it comes to the dough making here in just a minute. Before we get to that, how do you come to Boom's Pizza for a name? Oh, yeah. Great question. So uh, Boom was my grandfather's nickname when I was growing up. Uh, it was a nickname I gave him when I was like, I don't know, three or four. Walked in uh, up the driveway of his house in Parma and he was hammering on a something with a hammer. And I was like, boom, boom, boom. And then every kid called him Boom for the rest of his life. Wow. Like every grandkid. We had a lot of grandkids in the family. <laughs> um so yeah, I mean, over the pandemic, you know, thinking about my grandfather growing up in the Great Depression and being a World War II vet and, you know, wasn't super pumped on me joining the Marine Corps for obvious reasons. And, you know, he'd come through a lot of hard times and uh, came out teaching us all great lessons and raising a great family. And I don't know, it just kind of like sort of rocked me to my core. My whole career got kind of slammed into reverse, you know, while going 90 miles an hour. And it was like, my grandfather would not have given up on this shit. You know, he would have figured it out. And that's kind of what I did. So that's the uh, tagline too: Boom's Pizza, born of hard times. And it's all tracking back to your times. grandfather. Yep. Wow. That's great. Yeah. Easy to find a place to call Boom's Pizza home or pretty difficult? No, that was, that was pretty challenging, especially going through, you know, through COVID real estate was all over the place. You know, we, we thought we were going to see all these second gen spaces open up because of closures, but all the government money kept everybody open construction delays, you know, supply chain issues. So no, that was not easy. Uh, but I feel like we landed in the perfect spot for us to launch from corner Warren and Detroit, right in the heart of Lakewood. Um, I don't know, dude, almost every day I pull up to the shop and there's a line of people at three forty-five standing there waiting for the door to open. That's a freaking honor to like see that, you know, it's like Texas when barbecue, but dining, for pizza here in Ohio. The case. What's that? It's like Texas barbecue, but they're doing it for pizza here in Lakewood. Dude, no doubt. I did joke around about a burn ends pizza and JB's <laughs> like, there's no freaking way we could afford to sell that here. But 
I think it could be done. <laughs> you just need to uh, partner up with the guys down at Proper Pig uh, a couple blocks down the way, and I'm sure there could be a little yeah. reciprocation there to help you at least uh, game plan a few of those pizzas. Um, from uh, For uh, sure. That's actually a great idea because we're doing a bunch of collabs. Uh, the first one we're going to do is with Cleveland Vegan, but that's a freaking good idea, dude. Yeah. Thank you. I yeah, appreciate they're local, that. No doubt. Um, yeah. from, from a remodel or a build-out standpoint, was this thing space-wise pretty ready to go, or do you have to invest quite a bit in it? Uh, we we poured a good bit into it, but we got some great savings out of it. It was previously Campbell's Popcorn Shop, so it already had two ADA bathrooms. It already had decent flooring. We were like, keep it. You know, kitchen tile was there, so we exacted some good savings there. Mm. Biggest expense for bringing in the power because we cook on a electric deck um, Pizza Master 932, so that's a 400-amp service to come in and run that oven. That was, that was pretty pricey to pull that in. So the next question was going to be, do you have the big majestic domed imported from Italia pizza oven like a lot of these places have? You know, the ones that come to mind are like a Citizen Pie here locally or some of the other places that are doing your Neapolitan style wood fired, the whole rigmarole. Or did you break convention and do something else? So now that you've told us you've already broke convention, how do you decide on what you landed on and why are you going away from running a wood fire and, and being the traditionalist? Dude, that's a great question. So wood fired oven, I mean, that's a, that's a purist pursuit. Um, classically a lifestyle business to be a pizzaiolo and, you know, split your wood, make your dough, throw your pie, stretch your skins. A lot of honor in that. Uh, very difficult to scale that. So I, I, a chef I worked with in culinary school down in Charleston afterwards had a, several pizza shops in North Carolina. And he was like, dude, it's a tough thing to find somebody that can manage a fire and throw skins and bake pies. Like it's a very unique uh, skill set. So we went up to Chicago two and a half years ago and went up to this place called Forza and they import a bunch of pizza um, equipment and we got to cook on different ovens. And it was like, as soon as we cooked on this pizza master, the rebound time is so fast. The the heat is so intense. It's just like, and electric environment is a drier environment. So here's a tiny bit of science for you. Uh, natural gas has a humidity to it, yep. right? There's an amount of moisture that's absorbed into that gas. And so when you're heating with gas, when you're cooking with gas, it's a it's a, a boiled moisture coming into the environment, right, with the flame. And now you're trying to remove moisture from your pizza dough over your bake time. And that's what enables you to have a crispy crust, right? Mm -hmm. Then you put it in a box and it instantly starts dying again, right? Because it just rehydrates itself. Yep. So with electric, electric is a drier heat, some more intense heat. And so we can, can we can regulate the top and the bottom heat much closer and we're starting off with that basically 100% dry environment for baking. Development of a pizza menu. When I talk to the guys and the gals that are opening barbecue restaurants, we always have a point in discussion where we talk about menu, and they always talk about how it was this big, and then they either opened, and all of a sudden, within a month, it became this big. They saw what was really selling. Yeah. They were gonna. Everybody was gonna buy everything off the menu. And then they quickly realized not everybody's gonna buy everything off the menu. And let's focus here. So, do you guys come up with a plan? And look, as you had said, JB's been in fine dining. You've been in fine dining. You get menu. You get business. All this other stuff. <clears throat> Pardon me. 
but do you have a a, a frame of, of we're going to only sell X amount of pies at a time in order to keep the menu tight? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, we did pop-ups for a year with our keep the change concept. We were doing 40 dough ball Fridays. And so that menu pretty much stayed the same, man. I mean, we started with like nine red pies, three white pies, and then a BYO section. That's pretty freaking tight. Yeah. You know, no chicken wings, no fryer, no mozzarella sticks. It's just three apps, some antipasti, marinated mozz, a little bit of whipped ricotta, and then two salads and pizza yep. and Klondike bars for dessert, cold beers. How do you come so up we with really Klondike kept the bars? Concept <laughs> just straight up Klondike bars, dude. I mean, who, if, who, who picks that one out of left field? Um, well, it was a nod to my grandparents every time. I mean, there was always a Klondike bar to be had in that basement freezer Wowie. and it was like, you know, keep it simple and like, just give the people what they want. You know, I love the tie back so, to your grandparents. This is amazing. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in a very simple way. You know, it was the eighties. We were blue collar folks. It was easy. You spent your time in the woods and you scavenged a Klondike bar out of the grandparents basement freezer. <laughs> As you're building to open 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you were doing traditional ways of generating hype and media to get attention to opening day, but now you have social media and a bunch of other different avenues. How are you trying to build that hype going into those first days of business? Okay, so here's a crazy thing for you. All of the paid ads and you know, you go on Facebook, you go on Instagram, whatever you want to do. We had this group of influencers come out to Boom's Pizza. It was like Cleveland Vibes and I don't know, a bunch of influencers. I'm not on social media. I don't know, right? But dude, in one day, we got 65,000 views wow. of this video that these dudes put out, dudes and, and ladies. I mean, it was just like that. I've never seen anything like that in my career before. I've never seen it like lines like this. You know, usually in my old world, it was always very difficult to get people in the door. Once they were in the door, you blew their minds. Right. But there was rarely a line at the door <laughs> to get into a white tablecloth esque experience. So yeah, the viral way to communicate right now. And frankly, I also think what's playing into that is the familiarity of product. Everyone understands pizza. It doesn't require a 10-minute story about, you know, where the reindeer was sourced from and all this stuff. It's just easy, you know? It's just it's just easy. And that's kind of refreshing right now. Is January one of the worst times to open a pizza restaurant or does it not matter? <laughs> not so far. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> of course. Right. Yeah. But as you're thinking about it and things are lining up, are you like, wow, if I had my druthers, I'd pick June? I don't know. I don't know that there's seasonality to pizza. Mm. People say it's recession proof. It's affordable luxury. Every night is pizza night. These are like common no phrases in the industry. Personally, I think uh, the wintertime works out good for us because of the seasonality of our other businesses. So Catering company, gangbusters, Memorial Day through Thanksgiving, you know, um, the farm, the nonprofit, very, very active in the summer and the spring. So I, I personally wouldn't want to add anything into my plate in like May or June right now, but right now felt like the right time to do it. So let's run back to the dough thing that you were talking about. And earlier today, I was talking with somebody about P3 
pizza dough and I, we were just talking nonsense. And I said, geez, I was talking to this guy last night. He started going into this thing about his dough. And I was like, wow, this is a whole different level of pizza geekdom, pizza science, pizza, whatever you want to call it. But it's not just some fatso showing up to your shop and slugging down a big pizza all by himself. This is next level pizza knowledge. So if you might be able to explain from a dough perspective, how would your operation differ or what are you guys doing that probably most other places aren't? Yeah. So I'm going to give a tip of the hat right out of the gate here. Jonathan Bennett, absolute mad dough scientist. I am quite literally the guy standing over the mixer like, hmm, interesting. And then biting one piece, biting the other piece, like, yeah, like this one. You know, like <laughs> understand what's happening, but he lives inside of it from a percentage perspective. So mad, mad props to that dude. Um, so our dough is we're working with 64% hydration right now of just water, about another 4% oil. So it brings us to the 67 and a half, 68% total hydration of the dough. Now to give, to orient you to where it's from a style perspective, Neapolitan's like 71 to 75, real sloop, real soupy stuff, real loose. New York is like 61, 62, right? Real like kind of double baked, stiff, fold a slice in half, walk down the street eating it, right? So we're right in the middle there. So we're making our dough. We, we mix, we auto leaves. We kind of let it chill out for a second. Then we add the oil and the salt mix again. Um, and then we do a bulk ferment. So it's actually allowing that yeast to get to work at this stuff. And all of this is contingent upon her. So we take the temperature of the room, of the mixing bowl, of flour, and then add in a friction factor of about five degrees for the actual dough hook going through the dough for six minutes. And then that will tell us what temperature the water needs to be in order to equal a 74 degree desired dough temperature wow. upon completion of mixing. Now we know that if we get to a 73 bulk 160 ball batch dough, it comes out put into Lexans, let it sit there about two and a half hours at 72 degrees at room temp. It moves. It does its thing, right? Eats a bit of that gluten, gets the fermentation kickstarted. Now we cut it up and ball it and put it in the pizza boxes, the dough boxes wheel it into the cooler, cross-stacked for about eh, 10 minutes to get that ball down from 74 degrees to ideally 60, 65 before we nest the boxes and then let them sit in there for three days. Hmm. So I know this might sound mad scientist-y, but it is very close proximal management of time, temperature, hydration, and basically you're, you are a steward of uh, yeast feeding. Yeah. That's what you're managing. So fermentation, right? On a grand scale. Wow. Yeah. Who's in charge That's of that? We're doing. Just some punk kid? Yeah. Yeah. Some punk kid named Jen, Jonathan Benny's. Oh, okay. Thank God. <laughs> All right. The mad scientist is in yeah. charge. I, I wonder like where the delegation starts to happen if, you know, like Timmy or Tommy are the oh, ones dude. now in charge of uh, watching this stuff. Dude, that's actually a great question because we're talking about that. I'm watching the dough process happen and JB's like, dude, the math on this is not a prep cook level math. And so I'm coming at it from a problem solving perspective. Like, well, how do we get it to a prep cook level math of like where it's two bags, right? And this and that and that. <laughs> you still measure your temperatures, but 
we can't make it so masterful that only a master can do it because now you haven't built yourself a company. You've yep. built yourself a job. So there is a, there's a line there, you know, where you're like, okay, this is excellence. Now, how easily can it be replicated by not me? The coolest thing that I've seen so far on social media, because I haven't been out there yet, is something I didn't even think about. What is it? It's the pizza box. This is not your prototypical off-white square, throw the pizza in, don't even think twice about it. This in itself is a marketing piece. You open up the top, there's you know a headless guitar player or you know whatever other figure that's in there you crack it open and you can sit your head in on top of it and now you're the guitar player or the ballerina or whatever it is it obviously the the pizza's right there you could be in front of the the boom's neon sign take pictures all those scream of the highest elements of instagram photos now they're going out on social now you're becoming even more viral was that intentional where do you find that box Dude, once again, Pizza Expo. You're kidding. Um, we were, yeah, no, we, I mean, dude, there's everything. There was 1,500 vendors at the, at the Pizza Expo in Vegas. 1,500. Wow. So box producers on top of box producers. And we walked past this company. They're a bunch of Aussie bros. And it's called Pizza Bib. And that's their thing. They do custom ones. They, do, they have all these different holiday ones, templated ones, whatever. And so what we did was we had a custom dude kind of like a rock and roll, like kind of Sid Vicious sort of character drawn up. So that's the inside, right? We're in a hard times, kind of punk rocky. And then we had um, this guy that does my tattoo work, uh, Nate Kemmerer at Grimheart Tattoo. He designed another box. So we have two boxes in circulation at all times. Hmm. We have the local artist box and then the pizza bib box. And that pizza bib boasts like ridiculous numbers of shares every time one of those things gets posted up on social. So it's, you know, you just throw a couple extra cents per box towards your marketing budget and it just makes sense, man, leaning into it. So it's not a big uh, revenue capper there. So you're not spending two, three, four or five bucks more a box just to have that extra feature. No. And, and JB being very cost conscious, as soon as we saw it, he's like, oh my God, these things have to be freaking astronomical. <laughs> and turns out they're not. They're literally like 13 cents more than wow. a regular craft local craft paper printed box. Yeah. So, you know, to stand out from the market, dude, there's a lot of pizza in the market. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> anything you can do. Ben Biebenroth is joining us here talking about Booms Pizza, the website boomspizza.com right there in Lakewood. So if you're going to be visiting town, stop through. Uh, what are the service hours so nobody shows up and becomes pissed that they're not open? Yeah, it could happen. Uh, so right now we are Tuesday through Sunday. Tuesday through Thursday, we're 4 to 9. Friday, Saturday, we're 4 to 10. So dinner service, make sure you don't show dinner for lunch or, or make sure you're going to wait for the other three hours that you're going to be there right. and then uh, grab it uh, around four o'clock or after that at Booms Pizza on Instagram. Ben, I really appreciate the look in tonight and uh, continued success. I will plan to get out there at some point for dinner here sooner than later. And uh, then I will give yeah, a full unbiased review, of course, here on the show. But as long as you have pepperoni pizza, I mean, it's probably going to be a pretty good review. Dude, the OGP makes up like 50% of our sales. I'm not kidding you. Between that and the Kevin McAllister, which is just our cheese pizza, 
beautiful I mean, cheese. Dude, it's oh my, exactly a beautiful <laughs> cheese pizza just for you. Ben, always appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thanks, Greg. Nice to see you, dude. You got it. There he is, Ben Biebenroth, Booms Pizza. Once again, boomspizza.com. At Booms Pizza is the social. Some of you are like, well, he, no social? Ben doesn't have, like, personal social. Booms Pizza does have social. So make sure that you check that out and give them a follow. And if you come into Cleveland, I'm not sure exactly why you would be coming into Cleveland, like, on purpose, but if business takes you here, whatever vacationing in Bomb City, uh, hit me up. We'll go out together. Why not? We went a little long, so I'm going to have to figure out how we're going to do a highly abridged top of the second hour before we get to Bill Purvis, but I will talk to you about Primo Grills first. What do we love about ceramic cookers? We love that they're fuel efficient. We love that you can achieve low and slow temperatures for traditional barbecue meats. We love that you can get rip-roaring hot for high-temperature grilling of steaks and other thin cuts, but what's missing in the everyday lineup of ceramic cookers, the real ability to do true two-zone cooking. Two-zone cooking is important to both professional and backyard cooks alike. The best way to manage a fire and cook with confidence. However, getting a two-zone fire and a round ceramic cooker isn't very realistic. Why? Because it's round. And a Primo Grill, the game-changing oval design, you all know about this. It really gives you the ability to execute that true two-zone setup that you desire. They also have accessories only sold through dealers. Hit the website and find one near you, primogrill.com. That's primogrill.com. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram as well. We're back to wrap the first hour. We'll run through the top of the second hour, and then we will get to chicken fried barbecue right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Craig Rampey. All right, we thank Ben Biebenroth from Booms Pizza. Once again, that's boompizzas.com, at Booms Pizza on Instagram. And we are heading out. This is your abridged first hour wrap and we will get to an even more abridged second hour but before that a little more nostalgia coming your way stick around we'll be right back